if a foreign actor is attempting to replicate some of our technology that we may not view as a critical infrastructure, but they view it as critical to their programs, that whole supply chain then becomes critical to that nation state. Hey everybody, welcome back. Brian Hoagley here with CISO Life, sponsored by Side Channel. Today, very excited to have with us Leslie Weinstein. She joins me from the DC area. I do cyber policy consulting for the Department of Defense. I'm also a major in the Army Reserves. Uh, I'm an intelligence officer, but I got hoodwinked into cyber a few years ago. So, uh, so I support Army CIO G6. And, um, and I also started CMMC Consulting back in the fall of last year. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've been following it closely. And so it was initially like a, a side hobby, and now it's a side hustle. And I'm hoping to turn it into a full-time gig uh, by the end of the year. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's a it's a big topic right now inside of the DoD. Um, obviously, a lot of big topics, but you know the the impact of CMMC on the industrial base, right? The entire defense industrial base. You know, they're they're looking at mm -hmm. close to uh, four hundred thousand, right? Contractors total ninety thousand primes, three hundred thousand subs are the numbers that they throw at that are going to be uh, needing to address CMMC, which if nobody's familiar with it, and if you're watching this, and you're not familiar with CMMC or you're not, you're not, or you're not in the cybersecurity space, just move on to the next video because you should know what this is. <laughs> That's probably why you're watching this. It's the, the new standard that is coming out that has been put out is looking to be implemented sometime this year in contracts to basically replace what has been known as the 800-171 and DFARS controls, which is notoriously viewed as a self-attestation to the controls that you should be doing. The big change and the push here and the intent with CMMC is that you actually have a third party certifying you on those controls to then be able to then continue doing work within the defense industrial base. I actually used to work in Katie's office before Katie came on board in ANS, in the cyber directorate. I supported the government employees that support Katie. Hmm. And I left in November of 2018, two months before she came on board. And I left because I was bored. I left because we didn't know what to do. Like we knew that there was this huge exfiltration of DOD intellectual property every year. We didn't know where it was going or how it was leaving, but we knew it was happening. And we didn't really have a mechanism in place to stop the expo. Hmm. So we were throwing around all sorts of ideas and none seemed to, to be good in my opinion. So I left, I went on to the next bigger and better thing. And Katie comes on board and Bam, we have the CMMC five months after she comes on board. Hmm. Before I knew what the CMMC was, uh, uh, when I left Katie's off or when I left ANS, um, I had some time to sit and think, but I wrote an article for the Federal News Network. Uh, I wrote it in February, but it got published in May. Hmm. And I called on the DOD to require third party network assessments yeah. because I, I thought if we already have these standards in place, why not verify the standards that we have in place? So I wrote this article, Katie ended up reading it. That's how she and I connected. I um, uh, ambushed her in the hallways uh, after she spoke at an event in the DC metro area. And I said, Katie, I believe in this, I want to help you. And she said, I read your article, come meet me. So I met with her in the Pentagon the next day. Um, I was unable to support her as a contractor, but I've been following it as a fangirl ever since because I absolutely believe that we need to have a verification of the standards that the DOD has. I don't necessarily think we needed to reinvent the wheel because we already have NIST 800-171. It's already in the DFARS clause. Right. Um, so, 
so I'm not necessarily on board fully with the maturity model, because if you're going to set a standard, why now have a reduced standard for mm. some of our existing supply chain? Sure. Um, but I, I think it's a noble effort. I think it's absolutely important. And I believe in the cause and I really want to see it su- want to see it succeed. Um, and I've been trying to help when and where I can. Right. One way that I've taken an approach, at least in corporate America, is, you know, you don't hold the contractors or the vendors that process zip code information the same as you do who are touching and managing your PII or your intellectual property. You have to kind of create a, a sliding scale of controls. That was the one aspect I, I liked about how the CMMC has evolved in that maturity model. Um, it's still to be seen kind of like, well, who's going to be put into what group? Um, so hopefully that there's kind of guidance and, and expectations set to be able to make sure that the right ones are in the right areas. I know that'll be something they need to address. Right. Uh, and you raise a, a valid point. Why should somebody who only receives zip codes have to have a level three? And so the DOD has described that, or I don't know if it's actually in writing anywhere, but they have made it quite clear that if you house CUI, which is controlled unclassified information, which is far above the, the zip code level of data, you will have to have a level three or higher. Um, so that is a good uh, qualifier to, to determine if you need at least a level three. What I haven't been able to uh, surmise or to uh, think, uh, I can't figure out how to uh, determine who needs a three, four, and a five. Mm-hmm. Like, what makes a five different than a three? Maybe, uh, you know, the major primes like Lockheed, Boeing, Raytheon, maybe they, they need level fives because they have critical programs, um, but aren't also um, some other programs considered critical as well that we may not be able to think off the top of our heads, shouldn't some of those be level fives as well? So I haven't seen any guidance on mm-hmm. what the difference between a three, four, and five are, but we know for certain that the difference between levels one and three are definitely CUI. Um, with that in mind, uh, CUI is a new program. So DOD has only implemented their CUI program uh, for the last few months. So people still don't understand that FOUO no longer is a an approved uh, classification marking. Right. It's, it's, it is no more. So people may think that, oh, my documents only say FOUO, therefore I don't have CUI, therefore I only need a level one. Hmm. Um, I, I met with a, a potential client. I ended up passing him on to someone else. I thought uh, he might only need a level one because he teaches sailors um, how to weld. But some of his training material that he gets from DOD has a distribution statement on it. It doesn't say CUI, it doesn't say controlled, Mm. it just has uh, the term or the word distribution statement B or whatever the distribution statement was. Uh, And I had to go research that for myself because I had never seen that before. And in fact, it is CUI. So that poor guy who has 10 employees and one laptop is gonna need a level three. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. The the space for four and five, I mean, in, in my interpretation of of the standard that um, that was created, right, by uh, Carnegie Mellon and John Hopkins, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they wrote that, you know, it wasn't just criticality, but it was also potential impact. So mm-hmm. I think the numbers that I saw, they threw around like 0.6% of the entire DIB would need to be a level five, right, or four or five. But looking at what's required of a five and a four, you know, the way it reads is, people basically need to make sure that the defenses that they're putting in place to especially do detection and response are those that can stand up to and look for and then respond to very sophisticated, very well-motivated, very well-funded, you know, nation-state actors or other APTs. That impact level seems to kind of factor in. So it's kind of curious, like, you know, you've 
hopefully the larger guys, I'm going to assume that the Lockheeds and the Raytheons and, you know, the Boeings and everyone kind of know what their threat models are to be able to determine that they are squarely in the sights of those. Um, but, you know, does a smaller organization have that ability? Probably not. So someone's going to have to kind of tell them, hey, you're... <laughs> you are inside of the threat model for, you know, this type of an attack, you need to be a five. And and that might be a shock to some people because they were thinking yeah. maybe purely, am I critical or not? Am I, what am I processing? Not, am I a target? And what kind of a target am I? I think something that we're missing here is coming from an, uh, an intelligence background. Um, we may not understand our adversaries value of our information hmm. right so we're viewing this from an american lens and from our perspective and like what we view as critical right but if a nation state if a foreign actor is attempting to replicate some of our technology that we may not view as a critical infrastructure but they view it as critical to their programs that whole supply chain then becomes critical to that nation state's uh cyber attacks right so how do we know we're even placing the right protection on the right supply chain. Uh, I took a negotiations class at Cornell back in January, and part of negotiations is understanding uh, the value to the person you're negotiating mm -hmm. with. Like, you know where you're coming from, like from a salary negotiation, you know what you think you're worth, but what are you worth to that other person? Right. So we need to be looking at our supply chain as what that is worth to an adversary. Yeah, so they put together these uh, DIPCAT assessment teams last right. year, I believe, they pulled together people from other offices, put them together. They created their own assessment guide hmm. for uh, NIST 800-171. They've been conducting assessments on corporate offices that may have less of other outlying offices. But from what I understand, they're only doing assessments on like the, the corporate headquarters. Mm -hmm. um, and so my concern is if, if DCMA is still out there doing assessments on uh, defense contractors that are, you know, to see if they're compliant with this 800-171 and CMMC level three is almost entirely NIST 800-171. They have a few additional controls. Right. Why, why, uh, what is the need to have a company assessed twice? If they've already received right. a DIPCAC audit and it, and they show to be compliant, mm -hmm. uh, should they, should we not be talking about some sort of reciprocity in the same way that FedRAMP, uh, that they're talking about FedRAMP reciprocity? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, the CMMC accreditation body, I think they really miss uh, a great opportunity to get some free work out of DCMA and those DIPCAC assessment teams. They could have repurposed them, uh, maybe trained them in the CMMC AB way, trained them on the CMMC, and then uh, let them loose on the supply chain. If they're already doing these assessments, why not include an, a few additional CMMC specific controls for level three and see how it works? And that's that would have been like a no risk no obligation to buy right. uh, way to, way to test this process. And I think they kind of missed the boat on being able to leverage that asset that the DOD is already paying for yeah. and already has, you know, on the books. Hopefully they can kind of circle back and uh, maybe even tap that. The CMMC is looking to establish third-party accreditors and assessors out of private industry, out of industry. So we're not going to see those assessors for the CMMC be government civilians, they're going to be contractors That's assessing correct. contractors. Whereas the That's DCMA correct. is government civilians assessing contractors or other agencies or other components. Do you see do you see that as a having been through a number of different 
uh, DAIG, Department of Army Inspector General, and DOD Inspector General work. I, I, this is how I have unfortunately gotten pretty good at becoming audit ready is because I've been on the other side of the table from those folks for years. Um, but those were a mixture of civilian leadership with contractor support. And they had a very mm-hmm. set job, very clear, but the mission was never, um, w- was never undeniable. And it was always in control of and managed by a government civilian, which, which kept kind of the reins in, if you will, on things. Do you see this possibly being an, an issue or an area where the CMMC or the DOD need to address later and say, we need government oversight or civilian oversight on the assessing groups? Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll we'll see if people can behave. Uh, but coming from the Army, uh, and there's a saying in the Army that all policy is written in blood because you don't have to write policy about it until somebody does it or dies from it. Uh, so I am hoping that the accreditation body is putting guidelines in place and putting really strict uh, and firm infrastructure in place to prevent abuse of the system. Mm. Uh, but people ask me, or they raise a concern, what happens if a competitor is going up for an assessment and you can influence the results of their assessment? That doesn't seem like it would be fair or or right, you know, but the companies will have the right to choose their C3PAO, mm-hmm. I believe. I don't think there's going to be any mandate that they have to use a specific provider. So that might level the playing field or might make it less uh, uh, less likely for abuses to happen. But then the abuses on the flip side, if you cozy up to your C3PAO um, or C3PAOs know that they can make some quick cash by doing a cheap assessment and passing people, mm-hmm. yes, they're taking on a lot of risk for that. but if they've made a cool 10 million in the process uh, and all they have to do is be called to the red carpet for a few cyber incidents, maybe it's worth it to them. Hey everyone, thanks for watching. Brian Hoagley here with CISO Life. Uh, Leslie, I wanna thank you for coming on. This is a great discussion. Uh, obviously a lot of things are gonna be coming on in the next couple months and the years. And uh, you know, we'd love to have you come back on and uh, talk some more about this. Absolutely, I'd love to follow up when we know more. And I'll put your uh, contact information to your website. And are you on Twitter or just on LinkedIn? Uh, CMMC Consulting is on Twitter. Yes, we're not super active, but yeah. All right, guys guys and girls, I'll link that down below or right here on the screen for you to check out. Again, Brian Hoagley with CISO Life. Thanks for watching. Take care.